Hello, everyone. This is your host, Michelle, and you're listening to The Mindful Podcast, the show that aims to break the stigma surrounding mental health. Today, we'll be discussing trauma, how it affects your body, how it is manifested in your relationships, and a few ways to treat it with Natalia Saldarriaga, who is a licensed mental health counselor specializing in developmental trauma. All right. Welcome. How are you today? Fine. Thank you. Excited. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to have you. <laughs> we have Natalia here with us. Um, she's going to be talking about trauma, ways to treat traumas, and trauma in general. I'm going to let you, for those who don't know you, introduce yourself. Maybe give us a little bit of personal and professional background. Okay. So my name is Natalia Saldarriaga. <laughs> I'm a psychotherapist. My specialty is on trauma and in particular, uh, I would say developmental trauma. Okay. Um, so it's all those little things, all the little stories that are in our body that are on tone. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> tone with the tone. <laughs> nice. Um, and how did you get into the world of psychology? Well, <laughs> going I way actually, back. <laughs> going way back. Uh, actually, I, I was in uh, pre-med in, in bi- biology for three years and I got pregnant. <laughs> oh my god! And at that point, real talk. So I got pregnant. <laughs> well, I was already married. I was married. Okay. Um, and but like something in me came to the realization that I was doing uh, pre med not for myself, but actually for my mother. Oh. Okay. And psychology was actually my calling. I, I've always been curious about people, and I think I wanted to further my understanding of myself and my. Okay, so you quit um, med school, got pregnant, had a baby, <laughs> and then you came back and finished school. I continued through my pregnancy. I stopped actually for three years to take care of. Actually, that's not true. I stopped working for three years, the first three years. Okay, um, but I I went to school while I was pregnant, and during my first three years, it was really interesting because I was doing all the psychology part, and I was doing behavior modification, mm-hmm. and it was really neat because. My son was going through all his developmental stages, and oh, I was using yes. psychology to kind of understand and guide myself. That's nice. No, it definitely helps <laughs> in all kinds of relationships. <laughs> and why specialize in trauma? <sighs> why trauma? That's a good question. Yeah. Feel free. Feel well, free I... to disclose. <laughs> well, actually, I, I don't think I felt comfortable talking about this until I started training. Um, and at first I realized that usually when you're doing um, a trauma training, people disclose their why, right? Of so uh, when I read your question, it's like, oh, the why. <laughs> <laughs> I, I started doing it when I'm training people as well. So my why, why, of course, there was trauma in my life as well. In particular, I have a long history of trauma and therefore really specializing in developmental trauma, okay. right? And so it really became an exploration of myself and, again, like my family of origin, uh, generational trauma, and really understanding that. And then really, to be honest, I really became even more uh, specialized in it after adopting. I adopted two girls with a tremendous um, amount of trauma. And I realized I felt like an expert before adopting. And then after adopting, I realized... I am definitely not an expert. I need to <laughs> learn a lot more about this. And okay. so, so I'm going to hold different level now. Yeah. 
What level are you now? <laughs> Just what level? From zero to ten. How do you feel? Oh my goodness, from zero to ten. Well, to be honest, I don't think we ever stop learning, so I don't think I'll ever be at a ten. I'll probably be. You're learning. one of those. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to sound like I'm perfect, but I'm kind of perfect. <laughs> Very close to a ten, but I can't say ten because I'm a therapist, <laughs> and we no. all learn. <laughs> no, to be honest, I wouldn't even say I'm close to a ten. I, I really believe that, if anything, I'm at a five. Okay. Probably. I mean. Well, room to grow, like you said. Yeah. So, um, when we talk about dra- um, drama, when we talk about. <laughs> well, there is drama yeah. and trauma. <laughs> That's true. When we talk about trauma, or in specific about your trauma, can you give us a little bit more into detail of your experience, whatever <laughs> you feel comfortable with, but just so people can actually grasp the concept of um, generational trauma and, and all those different concepts coming from you, from your side. And then okay. we'll go to the patient side. <laughs> all right. So generational trauma really happens when um, there is multitude of, of traumas within the family system, right? And then they are passed on over and over and again through genetics, through environmental um, aspects, mm-hmm. right? So in my case, there has been generational trauma of Domestic violence, sexual abuse is pretty much the whole nine yards. Okay. Um, so it's pretty severe. <laughs> so I think it would it take all. us hours and hours of this. Okay. <laughs> yes. And, I mean, now you're laughing about it, right? Yeah. But I can imagine when you started your yes. whole career and your healing path and all that, then yeah. you were not laughing about it. Well, definitely was it not. Tough? <laughs> yes. Was it tough? Um, I mean, in part, I love psychology because I had to... Um, participate in therapy early on in in my teen years. During my teen years, I had to. um, And that's when it started. And as an adult, I do believe that as as a therapist, you know, it's very important that we work on our mental health. So I've done all of the kinds of therapies. I mean, hypnotherapy, MDR, NETS, you name it. I've tried it and it's really helped me heal. But with developmental trauma in particular, which we're going to talk about, there is so much. There's years and years and years of packed trauma that in reality, you're working like for the rest of your life yeah. uh, on yourself and making sure that you're working hard and maintaining what you've gained. Nice. Well, before we get into into that deep of a subject, can you go back and talk in general? What is trauma? What are the most prevalent kind of traumas that there is in people in general? Okay. So, okay. So if you talk to certain some experts, right? They'll talk about the big T's and little T's, okay. which I don't necessarily see them that way. So big T's for people are things like rape, um, things like war, things like, you know, getting assaulted, right? Um, a car crash can be considered a big T, right? And then the little T's um, are considered things that uh, happened every single day, right? So if we talk about developmental trauma, right? We're talking about things that happen in the home Every day, either you're being put down psychologically, physically, sexually, and it's little things that you wouldn't necessarily pick up on. Maybe a touch, maybe a word, but it's happening over and over again. So the reason I don't like to differentiate and the little T's, big T's is because the big T's, right? If a person who has had no developmental trauma has a big T, so gets into a car crash, gets raped, right? That is something that we can work and we can work and we're going to be able to overcome pretty quickly, 
Right? Okay. But when there's developmental trauma and there's those little T's over On and over, top years of and years big and years. Tees. And yeah, there's always big T's. Oh, wow. Okay. Right? Then we're talking about work that is ongoing for long periods of time. So in reality, those little T's combine to make a monumental T. Mm-hmm. Right? And so that's... So at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter if exactly. it's big or little. Mm-hmm. It's all about the quantity. Like you said, you have a lot of little T's. It could be the same as one big T. Yeah. This whole tea conversation. (laughs) (laughs) We should have some tea. So you just call it trauma. Yeah. Okay. And they can be any kind of trauma going from, like you said, a car crash, rape, domestic violence to any little, little trauma with a parent or just argument. A critical parent every single day putting you down. Okay. Right. Because at the end of the day is how it affected you. Right. So I've had people who have severe trauma and then we go back and we go to this moment in time where you wouldn't really necessarily think it's a big deal mm-hmm. but at the time the child was five let's say and right at that and point exactly okay that little t seems humongous because a five-year-old doesn't have the coping skills to deal with that little t and everybody copes with their issues differently right yeah. so i might have a big t and i'm like i'm fine i can deal with it a couple of therapy sessions and then you have it and you're like destroyed it's like exactly. we all have different resilience in our lives. Mm-hmm. Great, great topic. Um, when it comes to trauma, what are some of the most common symptoms that you may see in trauma? Okay, so usually what people think about, right, when they think about trauma is PTSD, mm-hmm. right? So they yeah. think about the avoidance, the nightmares, the flashbacks, the arousal of the body, right? Mm-hmm. Um, hypervigilance. But again, when we talk about developmental trauma there's so much more right and one thing that i really have come to realize is borderline personality disorder right is really what you see in developmental trauma um which is that difficulty not only with relationships right but this dysregulation within relationships the inability to um uh, be be reciprocal in Mm -hmm. a relationship to really the dance of back and forth of being kind and loving and and maybe we get upset and being able to really repair after being upset, right? So you have a, a hindrance of our social interaction, a hindrance of, of um, relationships, right, when it comes to developmental trauma. Um, I love the fact, well, if we can go to dialectical behavior therapy, the way yeah. they describe it, even though they, they're not talking about trauma per se, they, they talk about this biosocial theory they have, right? And so they say some people are born with this genetic predisposition for sensitivity, right? Mm-hmm. So these people have difficulty um, feeling too much and maybe having a, a low level of impulse control, right? And then they have the environmental piece, whereas like if you are invalidated over and over and again, which is yeah. trauma, right? Then you can also get the diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. The way I see it as a trauma therapist is these people that are born with this um, predisposition for sensitivity, Mm-hmm. is because of the generational trauma, right? Okay. Usually in these homes, the mother, the father, doesn't have the ability to nurture this child who cries often, right? Because yeah. them themselves have been re- dysregulated. Yeah, that's how life. they were raised. Exactly. They don't know any different. Exactly. Okay. And so this trauma continues, and the, the child ends up being an adult who has incredible difficulty self-regulating, being having fear of abandonment, right? Yeah. Fear of rejection, uh, difficulty with identity. So, um, I mean, it's so complex, right? So we can, again, we can put it down to 
you have nightmares, you have flashbacks, you avoid um, the trauma, yeah. how it happened, when, where, who, right? Everything that relates to it. But there's so much more to that. And I mean, we can get into <laughs> Get into it. Hey, sister. <laughs> That's what we're here for, right? We want to talk the the all the little details about diagnosing or the diagnosis itself, what it entails. So anything that you want to share, please feel free. Um, let me ask you, though. So okay. is trauma stored in your body? A hundred percent. And okay. actually, since you asked that question, then we can really go in, right? So what happens in, so I'm going to compare developmental trauma with a big T, with somebody that has no previous developmental trauma. How does it get stored in the body? I really like how some theories explain that when we're little, before the age of three, all our memories are sensory memories. And so we have no ability to create this concept of the memory as a picture. It's all just in the body, right? So people have this idea that, oh, He's not going to remember he's one. Yeah. That's, not a, that's not true. That's a lie. <laughs> right? yeah. The body that's has funny. been... Yeah, yeah, and the body has been storing these memories since the baby was in the womb. Okay. Uh, they're just stored as sensory memories, right? They're in your autonomic nervous system. And so this is true with developmental trauma, right? Because everything is stored prior to... Not everything, but a lot of it prior to, to being able to speak... But it's also true in big T's because in big T's what happens is imagine somebody gets into a car crash, okay. right? What does the body do? The body dissociates because it's trying to protect itself from feeling too much. Same as a rape, right? A rape, you're getting raped, you're dissociating from your body. Your body's trying not to feel anything, to mm-hmm. survive. In that point where your body dissociates, all the memory gets stored as a sensory memory, not as the actual An actual picture. memory. Exactly. Okay. And so that's what you see a lot of people that either there's like two groups, right? You, either you have like a, the perfect memory of the trauma, like it's called flashlight memory, mm-hmm. or you have people who completely forget yeah, they what happened. It. Uh-huh. Okay. Or, or I mean, you, you have little pieces, but all those pieces that are missing, or even if the whole thing is missing, is just there in your autonomic nervous system, store as a sensory memory. And when you have a client that has that sensory storage, how... <laughs> Do you get it out? Do you want to get it out? And what is the best way to get it out without causing them to relive this traumatic event? Or is a purpose for them to relive it? So that is a very good question. And I would say not everybody's different, right? And when I think about how I'm going to work with a person, I really, even though I I don't base myself only in dialectical behavior therapy, yeah. I'm using it a lot because they have a beautiful model when it comes to how to treat the person. It's called the house of treatment. And so there's three levels, right? And the first level is when a person is just destroying their life. So think about somebody who's using drugs and is just destroying their life or just going and having sex with everybody, right? Yeah. Or just promiscuous. Yeah, yeah. Anything that that will destroy your life, right? That's where they're at. Uh, And then the the second level is where the person is able to maintain kind of like a uh, their daily activities, a yeah, family, the average, exactly. But they're work. they're in pain. Okay. So you wouldn't see this person being in pain; they'll be in internal pain. Okay. And then the third level is when a person is already kind of like has talked about their trauma or, or like has processed it in whatever form, and it's just working on just general happiness. Okay. Right. So if a person comes to me and they are in this in stage number one, right? Yeah. 
they're not going to be able to work on the trauma. And the best thing I can do to help them in, in that moment is, again, with dialectical behavior therapy, you work really on, on skills and we're working on reciprocity. On You come to me and you are going to tell me whatever, talk about whatever, being able to be vulnerable and yeah. just fall apart. And I'm here. I'm not going to fall apart with you, which is what they're used to, you see? Yeah. And people like that in their relationships are very... Um, uh, there's a lot of turmoil in the relationship. So what they're used to is if I'm not feeling well, either my mother's also going to fall apart or yeah. my emotions are going to hurt or destroy others, right? But when they come to session, that's not what they get. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to be destroyed by your emotions. So that is a healing. You're breaking the cycle too. Exactly. They're like, wait, you don't feel sorry for me? It's like, no, we're here to work on your issues. <laughs> yeah. You can call your mom for that. <laughs> You're oh not God. paying me for this. I'm so, I'm so <laughs> I try. I'm funny sometimes. <laughs> okay, so that's yeah. the first stage. Yeah. So okay. you're holding building them. report. Well, it's not only building report. In that moment, you're holding them and giving them skills, right? Okay. And some people can only get to there. Some people, it, it will never be appropriate for them to to look like, at their trauma. It just is. It, it will not be appropriate, right? Mm -hmm. Now, for other people who you can see that they're ready, and I always gauge my clients, right? I'm like, I, I gauge that they are. And so, and then you also gauge where they are. So there are people who are very comfortable talking. There are people who cannot speak, okay. right? And there are people that are in the middle. So for, let's start from bottom up. So if a client comes to me and they just, they can't speak. So I immediately go to bilateral stimulation, okay. right? So what does bilateral stimulation do? So there's different types of bilateral simulation. I like the one that has to do a lot with, um, it's, it's a form of art therapy. I'm not an art therapist. I'm not licensed as an yeah. art therapist. I use a lot of art. And my bilateral simulation in particular uses, um, and I want to create a picture in your mind. So I use crayons. The person puts a uh, paper on their table and the, the um, paper needs to be taped on the table. And what you do is that you think about the memory, right? Or you think you don't even have to have a memory. You think about the feeling, whether it's a smell, whether it's a body sensation okay. that is really bothering you. And there's different types of movements. You can do guided or unguided, depending on the person you gauge. And they have to, with their eyes closed, both hands at the same time, do bilateral stimulation. But it's yeah. it's a body process, which is very different from EMDR, which they do have the tones, um, the, the eye movement, yeah. um, but it's not a full body. Okay. And so I, I love the full body, whether it's through movements for kids, which there's different ways to do that, or with the crayons for adults and kids, yeah. of course. <laughs> um, what that does is that it allows the, the sensation to come out on the paper. And so what you want to do, and what I really like about this technique is that when you think about a session with a client, right? You think about you get them in that place where they're like really feeling and it's a cathartic, like it's a Tharsis, catharsis, yeah. yeah. And they're like coming out and then you kind of calm them down. This is not what we do. In my sessions, we kind of go almost, it's like teeth, up and down, up and down, up and down, right? So we are getting into your trauma and, and we're coming down and it's all being used through this. So we're feeling it and then we're calming, we're feeling, we're calming. So what are their learning in there they're learning that it's okay to see their feelings they're process reprocessing right because mm -hmm. there's um a process that is happening in the brain is connecting is just seeing the everything in, in a different way 
and they're learning that it's okay to feel and they don't have to fall apart. So it's oh, it's so um, important. Yes. Yeah. They're changing the narrative. Yes. And learning how to feel. Yes. Yes. Amazing. Yes. Another thing that I, I love is EMDR talks about and, and systematic desensitization, which I love doing as well. Which we're not going to talk about, but or maybe you are. <laughs> it, it talks. There's about, so many techniques, you know, we can be here for days. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but how they define that bilateral stimulation, how they say that it works is that you cannot, your brain cannot do two things at once. So you cannot be kind of relaxed and being in the present moment and completely falling in the part in, in the past at the same time. Right. Okay. Yeah. However, um, there's another, uh, and I forgot the name of the theories that I said something that I just love. And I always repeat it to my clients when we're doing the bilateral stimulation, what we're really doing is one listening to the body and two allowing the body to move the way it needed to move when the trauma happened. Okay. And I see it. Like, I have clients, and you could see them doing the movements, and I just, I can have a client, I have a client right here in my head that he was just like, I can see him running, like, he had to run away, and you could see them just running in the paper, right? And so, that's part of it, right? So, they leave that on the paper. Now, it's very important to connect that to your prefrontal cortex, right? The executive functioning, the verbalization of your trauma. Although some people cannot do it at all. We have to use pictures for it or whatever representation. Maybe they can write it. Okay. What I tell them to do at the end is write whatever comes to mind. It doesn't even matter if it makes sense or it does not. And that, again, begins to connect the different parts of it. So as we're doing it, both hemispheres are connecting. As they're at the end, they're writing. Then we have the prefrontal cortex connecting. And it's just amazing it's what a different way to do therapy everybody everybody hears that regular you sit down on a couch and you just talk right like psychotherapy no there's so many other techniques oh yeah and specifically this one helps with trauma yeah but it could be used for anything else for sure yes that's amazing well that that sounds like a great therapy session (laughs) and you use that with all different levels wait and correct and i mean you shape it you kind of fix it a little bit yeah for the so one that can talk or cannot but i'm integrative so there are clients who will not touch this method because it is overwhelming right there's it sounds fun. like a lot <laughs> <laughs> to be honest and he's running and then you do and you, i was like okay it's very active therapy <laughs> there's people that can only do this type there's people that can do a combination and there's people that can only do talk right for the people that can only do talk, that I can see that it's only because they're truly afraid of that connection, mm-hmm. we warm and warm and warm. And after a couple of sessions, I might <laughs> do a little. Yeah. How about we stand up and raise our hands? <laughs> now run. <laughs> and I maybe I said it wrong because you're envisioning the person actually running. No, I know they're not running, but you know, it's in the paper and the type they're of feeling movements. It. Yeah, yeah. So yes. they do movements yes. as they draw. Yeah. So, yeah, he's running. <laughs> You're I got it right. right. I got it right. right. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so you touched a little bit already on how trauma might manifest in your relationships or your own self. Mm-hmm. Can you give us a little bit more detail on how it would affect our relationship, whether it's with our parents, our children, friends um love relationships and your own your own relationship 
Okay, so we could do relationships. Can we start with there? Okay, so relationships are, when it comes to romantic relationships, I see it a lot. I also do marriage counseling, and I take a a different stance than a lot of um, therapists. I I did, so I use a little bit of Gottman method, which I really enjoyed. And Gottman method is, um, it's founded on... In behavioral therapy. Yeah, I love yeah, yeah. <laughs> So yeah. it's part of uh, another passion of mine. However, when I see two people, I really am looking at their trauma. Because a lot of my clients that come to therapy, what they're doing is that their inner child is really, it's constantly at war. And it's constantly at war with the partner, right? So I, I saw this quote, and I don't remember who wrote it, but it said... um. The real language of love, because, you know, they have the book, uh, The Five Languages of Love. The real language of love is um, understanding. And, um, and you know, what? I'm going to add being compassionate towards your partner's trauma. Yeah? yeah, And being able to be there and acknowledge when your partner is feeling like their inner child. Right? But you kind of have to, not kind of, you have to be healed yourself before you could even understand your partner's healing. That's a really good point. Right? That's a really good because point. Because what happens in, when they both come in and they both have inner child work and you're like, how do you manage that? Because I can be the, I don't want to call it the mature one, but, you know, the one that maybe didn't have big T's or little T's. Yes. And, or maybe I, I did my own self-work, self-healing. I've been t- through my therapy myself. I understand my generational trauma. And then my husband's like, nope, just this like child, right? But I'm able to handle it maybe a little bit better because I get it. I get it. I was there. I worked through it. But what if I haven't? <laughs> Are those the ones that end up in divorce? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> Oh my goodness, that's really, that's a good point. So let's talk a little bit, I'll talk about what I do and how I work with that, but I want to talk about the different types of attachments real quickly, because you touched yes. on that with your statement. That's very well, important. Yeah. So if you have trauma, it means that, so there's four types of attachments, right? There is an anxious attachment, there's a dismissive, secure, and disorganized. Mind you, in trauma work, disorganized is not really viewed as disorganized. It's organized by safety, how safe you feel. And so when you're talking about one of the partners knows their trauma has worked, that person probably started with either a disorganized, dismissive, or anxious attachment and has worked closer to a more secure attachment, right? And so what that does, even if the partner, and so, okay, Even if the partner has a dismissive, anxious, or disorganized, and with a caveat on disorganized, because disorganized can be really chaotic, and a secure partner will not stay with a disorganized that is too chaotic. So that's where the the divorce would come in. However, a a person who has a secure attachment or more of a secure attachment can heal a person with an anxious or dismissive attachment. Oh, okay. Uh Uh-huh. Because of that understanding. Why? A person, and let's let's imagine, right? Let's imagine a person with a anxious attachment and a secu- and a person with a secure attachment kind of interacting in a fight. Mm-hmm. So the person who has an, an anxious attachment 
it's gonna want a lot of closeness. It's gonna like, yeah, oh my god, drama. Like, yeah, Give me more. tell me all about it. Yeah. No, we're gonna finish this right now. We're gonna talk over about everything, right? That's definitely not me, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and the secure attachment yeah. would be able to soothe. Okay. Okay. You know what? I can see that you really want to talk about this. Let's sit down. Like, are you done with your tantrum? Good. Uh, no, Do you need five more minutes? Is that passive aggressive? Yes. That would not be a secure attachment. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Well, maybe I didn't say I was. Maybe I'm halfway there. <laughs> All right. Now, now, this this would be the, a work that would be easier, right? Because yeah. one of the partners is closer to secure. This would be something that we can kind of manage and just yeah, lead by example. Go. So they're able to almost soothe themselves because they see the other person soothing, soothing themselves. No. No? It's more of co-regulation. Okay. Yeah. Oof. It's, it's so much. It's so I much. Know, <laughs> I know. I know. It's a, a big yeah. subject. But yeah. let's just make it, um, I don't want to say it's small, but let's let's put the, the basics of it so people can really understand. So... The secure pa- partner is soothing the other one. It's not that he's... Yeah, there's modeling. Modeling. But the real healing part is being able to soothe the partner. Okay. Because people with insecure attachments, right, with anxious or dismissive, were not or disorganized, were not given that. They were not soothed when so they if, needed. for example, the person that um, has not worked through their issues is fighting... How would the other person soothe? Well, it depends. Well, you got to give me a scenario. Just give me an example. (laughs) I don't know. Um, Maybe he's just mad and irritated because she's not doing the things the way he wanted. I don't know. Or maybe he wants more time with her, so he's throwing a fit because she's going out on girls' night out. I don't know. (laughs) Like, he's just being overly dramatic or just, you know... I guess the attachment would be like, don't leave me. I want you with me. Yes. So he's just like getting mad. How would the other person soothe him? Yeah. So imagine this. So he's doing that and the woman um, has a secure attachment. She might say, baby, I know you want to be with me. I want to be with you too. Uh, can we go out tomorrow? I'll be just you and me. I see that you're frustrated. I promise you I'm going to be thinking about you all night long. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I suppose. I suppose. So a dismissive attachment will be like, "What's wrong with you?" Yeah. It's You're not so a big selfish. deal. Yeah. Like, what do you want from me? Exactly. It's always, it's always the same thing. You're always, you just don't want me to go out. I get exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> it's always about you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's when it becomes toxic. That's when you tell your friend, mm, "Time to seek therapy." <laughs> Couples therapy would be uh-huh. wonderful. <laughs> so then, let me explain how I would work with two. Partners that have, let's say, one has insecure, one has dismissive, which happens a lot, okay. right? Um, what I would do, obviously, we hope and wish that they both were in trauma therapy individually, right? Now, is this possible? A lot of the times, no. Why? It's extremely expensive. If you if you are covered by insurance, mm-hmm. right? Especially it's if it's a Medicaid, story. the the therapists are not going to be having the training. Right? As if you actually go and pay a certain amount of money, right? A certified <laughs> yes. private Ex- therapist. Exactly. Okay. And so what happens a lot is they have to choose. Like They're like, my marriage is about to end. And just fun fact, people don't go and find marriage counseling until about six years. 
that they've had difficulty. So they're literally like, either you fix this or we're getting a divorce. Yeah, there's always, <laughs> right? you know, there's that stigma where if you go seek help, it's like you're crazy or the relationship is bad. Like they always wait till the end when they're desperate. No, go before. Go when your wife tells you, please, can we go to therapy? Listen to her. Just go. Because then you wait. The, what, the six years of the average? That's insane. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, everybody wants to kill each other. Exactly. The kids, like, it's like a whole a whole thing. That's how it starts. That's yeah. how it starts. And so what I've developed, which is something that I came up with, <laughs> like a structure. My own theory. <laughs> My own theory, yeah. It's a combination. Yeah. So I, I love this um the polyvagal theory has a lot of techniques for that co-regulation that I talked about before. So what I tell people is I have to see each partner alone for four sessions. In those four sessions, I provide them psychoeducation on that co-regulation piece and self-regulation piece. And I am able to touch a little bit on that on those traumas enough so that, one, I have a lot of connection with both partners, which is very important so there's no, no triangulation. Right? You're not getting into their yeah. fights and taking sides, right? And then what's happening is when we are together, right? Oh, and I actually make them sign a paper that says you cannot tell me anything that you don't want to tell your partner. Okay. <laughs> Very important. Oh, my God. Very important. <laughs> yes, don't yeah. tell me. I will tell you. Exactly. There's no, like, <laughs> okay. it's the three of us. We're here, right? Okay. And so then when we get together, then they already have some co-regulation skills, right? And when we get to, like, the nitty-gritty of it, then I'm able to really help them soothe each other, see what's going on with each other, look at that inner child, and really um, yeah, begin to heal together. That's amazing, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that's a very rewarding. Oh, I I, I say place to be at yeah. when like the couples, you know, they come over, yeah. hate you all this, and then they're like the best. Yeah, and as a trauma therapist. Probably my best, my favorite things to do are family therapy and uh, couples. Because it is it is incredibly um, rewarding. Did you want to talk about specific diagnosis relating or relating to trauma? We kind of did PTSD and borderline personality. Borderline personality. Um, is there anything else you wanted to expand on that? I think to be honest, we can get really deep, but I mean DID, but that's not. I think we are. There's a lot of that. That's going to take much. a long TMI. time. TMI. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Which I mean, in another time, if we want to do DID. Yeah, we can do a different segment <laughs> on that specific thing. But I think we covered everything. So I'm going to start talking about the holistic. Okay. And then anything else you think about it or any recommendations. Okay. All right. Um, when it comes to the people that might not feel comfortable going to a traditional therapist, you know, what are some holistic ways to treat trauma? All right. So I want to say, and I, I don't want to say treat because I do think that it's important to be able to process things, but I'm going to, my answer is going to be based on, again, the polyvagal theory and bilateral stimulation, right? Okay. And what that has taught us is that anything that allows our body to move the way it needed to move, right, is going to be healing. And so it can be anything as dancing, yoga, martial arts. I myself do yoga. I uh, martial arts run. Yes. yes. Good to know. Yes. It's very (laughs) important. Should I be afraid? (laughs) 
<laughs> what belt are I, you on? No, Be I specific. Sta- <laughs> I just started when it comes to series. Okay. I'm only a yellow belt. Okay. However, I have done years of body combat. Um, just uh, conditioning. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I do so, boxing. Uh, just want to throw that out there. Ah! Just in case. I don't <laughs> have to hilarious. defend myself. <laughs> so... So yeah, that is important. And what that does, and yoga in particular, actually, yoga can be used to treat trauma. And why is that? Because a lot of the movements release trauma that was stored. So there's certain uh, types of yoga that are safer for people that don't have a therapist working for them. You know, vinyasa and things like that. Now, yin yoga in particular, because you have to spend longer periods of time in one pose, it can be very overwhelming and almost re-traumatizing if you don't have somebody to talk to 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 really process that. And so you'll see a lot of people that do yoga um, and then they come to that place of shavasana when they're just laying down and you see them just crying and just really... Yeah, that's the part I sleep. (laughs) (laughs) No, not all the time. But it has happened. (laughs) Yeah, and... At the beginning, yeah, right? Course. But once once you really process and that won't happen anymore, you'll be you'll be at peace with being alone with your mind. <laughs> I actually experienced it because I mean now I don't have time for anything, but um I used to have time to go to yoga three times a week. And I was going through a couple things in my life and yoga was like my safe space. And I remember one session, I got to it, I did everything, and mid mid-session I just kind of start like I wanted to cry and I was like oh my god like this is so weird right like do I just get up and go cry and go to the bathroom whatever I I kept going with the session and then when it came to shavasana it was just I didn't cry because I couldn't let anybody see me cry but it was just different it was like I felt it I felt the 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 way I was moving my body just kind of released all these things. You're always just thinking and thinking and thinking. Yeah. And here you kind of like, you're so focused on your movement, especially if you're not experienced like me. Like I don't fall, <laughs> stretch it more. Um, but when you really connect your body with your thoughts and, and just get into that mindful state, mm-hmm. um, it could be very, very enlightening. Yeah. And I highly suggest it could be overwhelming. Um, I highly suggest every. Anybody that can try yoga to to do it, even if, you know, you don't have to be this professional thing like, no, just go. The, the teachers will guide you from beginner to advance and don't feel like people are judging you. Nobody's judging you. Yeah. Everybody's going through their own process. Everybody's there for a different reason. Mm-hmm. So I, I love I definitely love using yoga as a holistic method yeah. to treat trauma. Yeah. But it's important, like you said, if, if it's too much or it can be too much then you should definitely seek the side side therapist. You have kids, right? I have three kids. You saw the movie, um, what's it called, Inside, where it's like all oh, the yes, different emotions. Yes, yes. Oh, my God. I love that movie. Yes. And I had to explain it to my son, right? I had to say, you know, because everybody, everybody's always telling you, don't cry, don't show emotions, like, why are you sad? Always be happy, positive mindset. And you're here like... No, sometimes you have to cry. Sometimes you have to feel that emotion. Mm -hmm. But it's very important for you to remember that an emotion is just that. You have to let it in and let it out. You know, when you get stuck in the emotion, that's when it gets a little messy. Like, you know, you need to in, through, let it go, bye. And that movie was was just great for kids, at least. I mean, 
I would watch it again. But <laughs> my kid is the excuse to see the Disney movies. Yeah. But I really like to see them. <laughs> yeah. No, me too. Me yeah. too. I love the fact that kind of like the resolution of that movie was her allowing herself to feel the sadness, right? Mm-hmm. And just allowing somebody to have that compassion for her and her having that, like, just the realization that it needed to happen. I mean, of course, it was a little people inside her head. <laughs> no, but that's exactly. We, don't yeah. we all have little people? Yes, for inside? sure, for sure. I hear myself with a bunch of little people sometimes. I was like, wait, which one do I listen to? <laughs> Definitely listen to the one that wants to cry. No, yeah. but it, you feel it. The moment you cry, you just feel better. Yeah. You know, you're yeah. all sobbing, and then you're like, all right, no more tears. I'm done. Yeah. You go to work. <laughs> I guess I have to go to work. Yep. <laughs> No, but that's very important, and and I love how some of these kids' movies nowadays, they're getting better with the messages. Yes, for sure. Because back in the day, let me tell you, Lion King? (laughs) What is that about? I was like, wait, what do you mean he died? The dad just died? Why am I watching this at six years old? (laughs) Well, think about it. I think, I love that you brought that up. Stories in the past really reflect society in the past. So it's like... We're living through this trauma, but we don't know how to fix it, right? So they would show us a trauma in this movie. They're like, how do we fix it? Oh, look, Prince Charming is going to fix my trauma. What do I do with this information? Like Sleeping Beauty says I should just sleep. (laughs) And wait for my prince to just wake me up, and it's all going to be great. Exactly. And But now we have movies like Turning Red. I don't know if you've seen that one. Yes. I love that movie. That Moana. Moana. You know, yeah. she saves herself. Uh-huh. I love that movie. Yeah. Um, Frozen speaks about grief and dealing with your emotions. Yes. That's how she controls uh-huh. the process. Exactly. Um, but no, yeah, I, I love what the, all the messages. That what would you tell or what would you recommend somebody that is going through trauma right now that might be considering seeking help or doesn't know what to do next? What I would tell people is, first of all, it is incredibly hard to begin that journey. And so fear um, of the unknown is common. And don't feel ashamed of that. Okay, yeah. uh, Having compassion for yourself is important. And it takes an incredible amount of courage to be able to look at yourself and work through those hard times that were not necessarily caused by you, but when were done to you. Um, now, that doesn't necessarily mean that those things are not causing you to do things that are harming yourself, right? Yeah. Um, and so just acknowledging that part, acknowledging what is actually your responsibility and what was not, um, and giving yourself compassion for it. You get those people that can do a lot of harm and they blame their past or, you know, I had a rough childhood or I didn't know any better. But at what point do you stop yourself and say, I am responsible for this part of my life, right? Yes. I am responsible to do the inner work. And me being a bad person is just an excuse. It's You can't be a bad person just because you had a, a bad experience or a traumatic experience or a bad life. Yeah. Do you agree? Well, so I, uh, I disagree with the word bad. <laughs> Okay, so, I'm sorry about my terminology. <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. Please correct me. Let me explain. Let me explain why. Um, I actually, I've heard psychologists talk about people who are actually really vicious, right? And I have worked, I have worked in, uh, with the um, DOC, the Department of Corrections. So I've worked with people who have done harm to others. Um, 
I've worked with people that have been in the streets for 20 years and have had horrific things happen to them and have done horrific things to others. And what I find is that even the person you might find the most disgusting, atrocious, just mm-hmm. horrible human being, in matter of fact, is just a child who was unseen and hurt over and over and over again. So does that give that person the right to do that harm to others and to blame their past? No. However, if we start by seeing the person as bad, we will never get anywhere with that person because a person has always been seen as bad, right? And it's really hard to do this. Would you use the word maybe broken? No. What's the right word? <laughs> uh, I would probably use the word hurt. Okay. Um, and I would also, and one thing that I explain to the people that I work with is, When we work and we're working towards understanding the past and the hurt that was done to you, we're not necessarily doing it to blame others because even if we really go far, which you cannot do with all clients, but with some you can, of understanding why those people hurt you, right? Um, Then not only will you be able to be free from that pain and that, that blaming that you do, but you will realize that even those people that hurt you also didn't have the skills, also had trauma, and it's just, again, reoccurring, 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 right? So, um, again, the, I think the most important concept here would be compassion, would be her, and not allowing um, the person or ourselves to relive that pain and hurt by hurting others, which is really what happened. It's not that the person is inherently bad. The person doesn't know any better. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times, the person is completely unconscious of how much pain they're inflicting because their pain is so great that even if I hurt you, I am I'm only s- doing to you what was done to me, yeah. right? And so there's this- They're projecting. And reliving. Okay. Yeah. And that is why in trauma therapy, the, the um, attachment of disorganized is not seen as disorganized, but how safe do I feel? So in a person that's being hurt, right? Uh, let's say a person comes in and they look at them in a certain way. Like Let's say this person has been hurt violently sexually right and so this person random person comes in looks at them a certain way now they are feeling unsafe okay and they are going to replay this that was done to them onto that poor person that had nothing to do with it yeah right and so again are they bad or are they just unconsciously repeating this horrible cycle of pain and anger and so when i work with somebody when i work with the people that have hurt people the most and this is also true with parts of ourselves that are most hurtful to ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. You want to show the most compassion to those people. Now, this is easier said than done, right? And yes. clinically, it's easy for me to do, Yeah, right? We are uh, trained to have this mindset with people, too. No ju- you know, judgment-free, empathy. But for the regular people, and I wouldn't, it's hard. And for most therapists, it's hard. Yeah. And, and I could say when I began in the field, it was hard because as a therapist, we also have history. Like I started this yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> That's true. Uh, interview with. Yeah. And so as a therapist, if we're not able to heal that, those parts, then we're going to be seeing them as those perpetrators yeah. and as bad and as and, and we begin to judge. Even be your triggers. Exactly. You, know? you yourself can relive all 
all these things. Exactly. So working in ourselves and building that compassion towards ourselves, our pain allows us as therapists to then see this person and see them as a hurt person and provide that compassion that can begin that healing. Do you see healing? Oh my goodness, yes. Yeah. Yes, it's it's long and painful and sometimes it feels like it's never going to happen. <laughs> and and yeah. and then you see glimpses is it might not be the healing that you would see in a person that has you know um perhaps more insight okay. and perhaps less trauma mm -hmm. but even to those who are just used to hurting others you can see um healing and the healing might just be as small as being able to have a relationship with a dog okay wow. and that might be good enough a dog has a relationship with everybody so hey you'll be surprised some insane. people can't even <laughs> i know that's what i'm saying i'm like that's insane i mean when you put it in that perspective yeah so i, I guess progress is really defined by the person and you have to really be able to see the client and see what would progress mean for them what would healing look like for them yeah. because if you put the same um expectations on everybody no you'll <laughs> fail like yeah everybody's different yeah um so when we see them in treatment They have to be treated as such. All right. Well, this concludes our conversation. I want to say thank you for coming. Thank you for being so insightful and give us giving us so much information in trauma. Is there anything else you want to tell our audience? Um, maybe you can let them know where they can find you if they want to reach you. All right. So it was a pleasure. I really enjoy the conversation. And you guys can find me at www.copingmyway.com. And I look forward to maybe talking to you again. And yes, let's do a, a different episode focusing <laughs> on more treatment methods for trauma. Okay, there you go. All right. Thank you.